The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to talk about peace this morning. We're in Advent, and um, there are uh, often when I'm sitting in a restaurant, and you know the waiter or waitress comes and says, "Can I get anything else for you?" I will often say, "Yeah, peace on earth." That will, and they all. Often are just flabbergasted. So, okay, just work on your own little corner. And whether you're watching the news or you're dealing with the inner turmoil in your own soul, uh, now and then we can find temporary pockets of peace. Now and then we find a little measure of tranquility. But for the most of, most of the time, we have a Category Four hurricane going on inside of us. Right? There's just all sorts of turmoil and trouble whether it's coming from without or from within. No peace on the outside, no calm on the inside. But Jesus has come to change that. Now, now we, if you know the Christmas story, there's kind of like this big line that the angels tell the, the shepherds. It's, it's, uh, I'll put these verses up there. It's, they say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace um, among those whom he is pleased. But he also says this, do not think that I came to bring peace. So, so you get it. Is Jesus schizophrenic? Is he, is he conflicted about what he's doing? Or what, what is Jesus actually saying here? And, and I think part of it, it helps us understand two of the roles of Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace who will rule forever and ever with peace. But he's also the warrior of, ju- warrior of justice. And he's come to do battle against the kingdom of darkness which is lying and perverting and, and stealing from us what God originally intended, which was meant to find joy in him. And so we have this cosmic battle raging, and we find ourselves in the midst of it. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to answer the question, how does God bring us peace? And the obvious answer is Jesus, but what is that, how does that extrapolate out? How, how does that affect you and me? How does Jesus bring you and me peace? And then what are we to do with it? Okay, because if he gives us a good gift, we have a responsibility to do something with it, correct? So here's what I want to start out with. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. And if we ask the question, how does God bring us peace? The first answer to that question comes from verse 16, where it says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. How does God bring us peace? Well, right there. His generous love meets our greatest needs. The story we find ourselves in is that my greatest need and your greatest need is is something we can't fix. The story we find ourselves in is this father's love has created this world, allowed for whatever, however he wraps this thing up in his glory to demonstrate his love. He he has um, allowed us to rebel, live in darkness so that his son could demonstrate how much he loves the Father and how much he loves us. Jesus becomes the hero. He dies for our sins. And then the Holy Spirit, he sends to all who will turn to Jesus, the Holy Spirit who humbly plays a supporting but significant and central role. He comes and fulfills in us something we can't do ourselves and brings peace. So here's the conflict. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Like, Jesus came for our biggest issue. If any of you work like as an EMT or whatever, and you get onto a a crash site or some sort of um, difficult scenario, 
part of the practice is they triage a uh, patient. They try to determine what are the, the problems and what order of, of importance are they. If you're in a car accident and, and you were punctured by something and you're bleeding out, but you also broke your leg, your broken leg does not matter anywhere near as much as if you're bleeding out. Some of you and some of us want Jesus to fix our broken leg when he's really come to deal with the major issue right now, which is our broken, sinful, rebellious, self-centered, self-reliant, susceptible lives. And he appeared in order to take away sin. In fact, just prior to this, uh, in chapter 3, verse 5, this is one of the one of the ways we understand Advent is that Jesus appeared to take away sin. Ironically, John, I love John. John is kind of like me. He doesn't, uh, when he writes, he doesn't go from point A to point B like you engineers out there. You like that? No, some of us just like to wander around and kind of connect the stories. And John does that. You read John and it's like all over. But one of the things he's clear about is what sin is. And in chapter 4, 3 verse 4 he says sin is lawlessness when we break the laws of God we're driving down here this morning my daughter and I and and, uh, it's kind of it's kind of I think it's kind of lame they put up a sign that says um, state police ahead another sign says they're monitoring you by aircraft and they they just put these out just for this morning and yeah sure enough there are three cars pulled over I thought man that's like like well that's kind of what God says he said here's my law and none of us follow it and he's sort of like following, you know, like in the aircraft going, you guys are breaking the law all the time. That's what sin is. But rather than busting us, he busts Jesus in our stead. Also says in chapter 5, verse 7, all wrongdoing is sin. How simple does that get? Sin is law- lawlessness. Chapter 3, verse 5 or 4. Chapter 5, verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. So kids, kids, when you disobey mom or dad, that's like... That's like, that's sin against God. Jesus had to die for that. It's not little stuff. You know, your, your bad attitude towards coworkers, you know, and you tell, like, you, you sort of like, you, you, you sort of like party up against, like, the weakling in the group, and you tell stories about them behind their back. You know what it's like. Come on. You know. You do that. Or you shouldn't. But that, that's like sin. All wrongdoing is sin. Jesus has come to triage this, and he says, listen, I'll take care of your broken legs, your scratches, and your bumps later. But right now, I'm going to deal with the fact that you're bleeding out. And I'm going to deal with that. And this is how God brings us peace. His generous love meets our greatest need. Our greatest need is that Jesus would come and deal with our sin. A second way God brings us peace is in verses 19 through 21. His great presence assures our doubting hearts. Let me read these verses, verse 19. In fact, I think they're up here, yeah. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The internal conscience is a strange thing. Sometimes we're really bugged by what we do, And then sometimes our inner conscience is way off, like we pass over stuff. 
But then sometimes we're just so harsh on ourselves. Like, how could God ever love me? Anybody frequent, be, be straight up with you. Sometimes I hate myself. I don't like David Pinckney. Nope. Don't like what goes on inside. Don't like things I've said, things I've seen, things I've thought, things I've done. I've taken as my, my, my verse for this year. This year's almost over, so I can get rid of it. But James 3, 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. It stinks. And we can be really down on ourselves. What happens after I confess my sins to Jesus and I'm still feeling condemned? Well, that's what this talks about. By this we know we are of the truth and we reassure our hearts. Now, look, I underlined twice in these verses, underlined, it says we're before him or in his presence. And actually... God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. You know what that's important? You know what's why that's important? Because when God looks at you and me, he knows we, we can actually um, not feel the, the grace of redemption in our lives. We cannot, sometimes can't feel the weight of sin lifted off of us. And he's greater than our hearts. And look what that last line says, he said, or that line right after it says, and he knows everything. He knows that you're worse than you know you are. Isn't that scary? <laughs> He, he knows. You, know, you might think you're bad. God knows everything. And he doesn't condemn you. Why? Because Jesus has taken our condemnation. Jesus has ended what, we, what was true of us earlier, that we were enemies of God. By the way, this is how that, this, tech, this part starts. By this we know we are of the truth. Another point, place in Scripture says the truth is Jesus. You see, his great presence assures our hearts so we can be at peace. I can be at peace with God because he has come with his great love and met my greatest need, which is my sin. He's triaged me. He's dealt with the fact that I was bleeding out because of my sin. He comes and, and, and he comes to us with his great presence and assures our hearts so that we can be at peace. Because even when our hearts condemn us, God doesn't condemn. It says in Romans, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. It also says in John that if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're already in condemnation. It's not that you're going to be condemned, that you're already under the condemnation of sin. But here's how we live at peace. Because we know... In his presence, there's no condemnation. That's the truth that's in Jesus. You may not feel it, but this is why we use terms like we need to preach this to ourselves. His great love has met our greatest need. His, his great presence uh, assures our, our condemning hearts. John Stott says this, It is the mind's knowledge by which the heart's doubts may be silenced. So sometimes, and, and let's just be honest, and we use this in counseling, um, feelings are really supposed to be the caboose of life. They're not what leads us. They're supposed to follow the facts and our faith, the truth that's in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. Our feelings will catch up. But if you follow your feelings, you're going to do a bunch of dumb stuff, right? Last night I was like watching uh, something on Netflix, and I was feeling like eating 
a bunch of my wife's um, Chex Mix because she makes it every Christmas, and it's really good. And about 3 in the morning, I regretted I ate so much Chex Mix. But my feelings led me, saying, this would feel good. Okay, a, th- a third way that, we, that God brings us peace is not just his, his great presence assures us and his generous love meets our greatest needs, but his spirit, his given spirit, confirms our obedient belief. Now, I've, I've, see what I've done there. I've done, try to be a little... Uh, helpful with your memory with three G's here, right? The generous love of God meets our greatest needs. The great presence of God assures our doubting hearts and the given spirit confirms our obedient belief. Let's talk about this for a bit. It says there in verses 21 through 24. Well, actually, I, took, I just took two parts of it. And this is his command. Now, this is interesting. What does God command us to do? Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and who he is. In fact, it goes on there to kind of describe that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Those three, his son, Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he, give, he has given us. You see, to experience the peace of God, God has promised through his son to meet our great need. Okay, he triaged us, we're bleeding out because of our sin. He sends Jesus, that is his, his generous love meets our great need. And then he, he, uh, his, his great presence that we are before him when I feel condemned. Nope, I can look to the Father who knows everything and the truth is if I'm in Jesus, all my condemnation is carried by Jesus. That brings peace to my soul. And he promises his Holy Spirit as I believe in Jesus, not just when I was a little boy, I, came, I believed in Jesus and started following him seriously when I was like 14 years old and believing Jesus now for like these 50 years. I'm still believing Jesus today. But his spirit confirms our obedient belief because belief must be shown in obedience. You see, our part is to obey the command to believe in Jesus that he's the center of all things, that your life was made for Jesus. Psalm 24, 1, all things were made by him and for, no, 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 that's that's Colossians. Uh, Psalm 24, 1 is the world, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. You were made for the glory and pleasure of God. Every thought and word and deed that that is anti-God is an offense to God. God must justly deal with. Remember, he's the the, uh, justice warrior. And he's coming to, this is why he, Jesus said, not only is he bringing peace on earth, but he said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring the sword. Because we're either being re- redeemed by the Savior or, or condemned by the judge. It's one or the other. But if the Spirit, if, if we've been born again to the Spirit and I'm trusting Jesus, which demonstrates itself in obedience, my obedience does not save me. His obedience saves me. My obedience demonstrates that I believe in him. And that means his teachings matter because it's about his reputation. Notice it says there that this is his command that we believe in the name of, he starts with his son. This is the father, the God of love. His love, his, his ultimate affection, his eternal affection has been his son. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all. Yeah, that's the, is that Ephesians or Colossians? Wherever, it's in the, it's in the Bible. But it's all about Jesus because the Father wants to see the Son glorified. And if you have babies and if you have kids, you want your children, you, you love your children. 
You want to see them. This is how God for eternity has felt about his son. It's been his eternal love. That is, it's about his son. We believe it's about his son. My life is about his son. He's also, it says there, um, term Jesus, his name, Jesus. Joseph was told to name Jesus by the angel because he will save his people from their sins. This is, this is our Jesus. He hung on the cross so we didn't have to. His obedience saved us because we're not obedient. He's our substitute. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he is the Christ. So we believe in the name of the Son, of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Promised King, to whom our allegiance belongs. Do not dare say you believe in Jesus and ignore his teachings. How can you do that? It's incongruent. It doesn't fit. And God's part, God's our part is to say, I believe, and because I believe, I'm trusting, and I'll follow you, and I'll do what you say. And God's part is his Holy Spirit has come and has, has birthed in us new life. The Spirit has given us, he has given us, abides in us. John 3 says, that which is born of the Spirit has spiritual life. In my journal this past week, I wrote this about the Spirit as I was reflecting upon the Spirit in my life. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit assures me of my sonship, that I belong to the Father. The Spirit guides me. The Spirit convicts me. The Spirit gifts me. He teaches me. He comforts me. He empowers me. He fills me with fruitfulness. He reminds me of Jesus. And this is how, how we experience peace. Not just because his generous love has met my greatest need and because his great presence assures my troubled heart, but because his given spirit confirms my obedient beliefs that as I continue to trust in Jesus, he assures me, he assures me that, that this is right and I am trusting the one and only. So this is peace. I'm sort of, sort of defining peace from God's perspective. How does he give us peace? How does he give us peace? His generous love beats our greatest need. You do not, and, and, and his, his great presence assures our doubting heart. So I am no longer under condemnation. In fact, one of the reasons we need to confess our sins and confess them quickly and confess them often, confess them daily, because Jesus does not want you to bear the burden of your guilt. The condemnation you feel about your, the way you know, you've treated your fellow employee or your spouse or your kids or your parents or the person who's driving slow in front of you. The 11th commandment, thou shalt not drive slow in the left lane. That should be there. I've talked to the Lord about adding it, but it hasn't got there yet. That, that, that the great presence of God in our lives says, listen, even though you feel condemned, you are not. Christ is condemned in your place. And as we trust him and believe in Jesus and believe that he is the son and all things are meant for him and my life finds its meaning in him as I trust his saving work as Jesus, as I trust him as the Christ and my allegiance and I, I seek to become more and more devoted. We call that sanctification. I seek to become more and more obedient, more and more responsive to his commandments. The more I experience that, his Holy Spirit continues to remind me, I'm with you. I'm gifting you. I'm guiding you. I'm assuring you I'm there. So that leaves us with this question and sort of the application is, so what do we do with this peace? If I experience his incredible love and his presence and his Holy Spirit assuring me, what do I do with that? 
Well, we, we're going to look at these verses again. What do we do with the peace? Let's look. So we start out by looking at verse 16, but I didn't finish it because verse 16, um, it started this way. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we stopped it there. We stopped it there because we know peace because God in his generous love has met our greatest need. But it goes on. And this is how we now extend peace to others. And we ought to lay down our lives for brothers. If anyone has the, world, the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, but in deed, word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the way we now become what God says we are. You know, in Jesus' first sermon, he described his followers, and one of the things he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, they will be like God. They will be like their dad. They will be doing what God the Father has done in Jesus. And so one of the things we do is, as he has laid down his life for us, now we live to serve others. I saw this quote in one of the books I was reading as I was studying First John, and I thought it was really, a lot of people say, oh, I love this people, I love those people, we love, 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 love. But they actually never get down to loving one person. And the, the quote is, loving everyone in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. Let me say that again. Loving every oh, I love, I love the refugees. Oh, I, I love, you know, I love, I love, I love. Well, who, who do you love? Who could actually stand up and say, I have been loved by this follower of Jesus tangibly? Because at the end of the day, one of the ways I'm a peacemaker is I'm laying down my life out of love for others. And this is how it's defined. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. This is a, this is, this is a, this is a really, this is a really big test. Like, as soon as your heart sees a need and you realize you have the substance to meet that need, there's a test of the heart there. Like, am I really ex- extending the love of, of God that he has extended to me? So what do I do? with this peace that God has sent me. Well, he's been so generous with this, his love. I need to be generous. You say, I don't have a lot. Great. Serve. Be a friend. Turn off the stinking screen. You know, <laughs> Engage. Listen to someone's story. Buy them coffee. That's not expensive. It's not a coffee drinker. Buy them tea. Or matcha latte. I had one of those this week. <laughs> don't need to be buy me one of those. I would not feel love that way. It's like grass made into water. Okay, never mind. Sorry, I digress. A second way we extend the peace of God. The second way. Go ahead and click. There we go. Declare the good news that God removes condemnation. See, here's the deal. If I am now living in God's presence, as it says in verses 19 through 21, by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts where? Before God. How do I reassure my heart before God? 
For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Why? Because in Jesus, he's removed condemnation, and he knows everything. He knows all of my sins. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. As I live in confidence before God, if I'm okay with God, why do I fear man? We've sort of adopted a term recently at uh, River of Grace called we want to be holy disruptors. Holy disruptors because people are so distracted by life and by stuff. They can't hear the gospel. They don't realize the, the, the tragic end of their lives is death and without Christ, eternal separation from his blessings and his goodness, his forgiveness and his grace. No more common grace. It's called hell. And New Englanders, I don't know about in Manchester, but up in the north country, which is just north of the Hooksett toll booth, uh, up there, pe- people are just like, we, we all live, like I live on five acres. I'm not bothered by my neighbors. I just like, we, we all get in our cars um, and, and we live in our boxes and we live in our cubicles and, and our lives are sort of like isolated. So people don't realize how sad and desperate their lives are. And, and it says in John, they're under condemnation. If I have confidence before God, I can live as a bold, loving, humble, confident witness before man. We are called to be testifiers, to stand in court, and, and that's what a testifier does, and tell, tell the judge how we saw it. Well, that's, that's what it means to be, a test, to, to, to be a witness of Jesus, that we are bearing witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. You and I, we don't have all the answers. We can't. We just testify to his grace in our lives. If you have confidence before God, then we are bearing witness that, we, that God has come to remove the condemnation that people are already under. How, do you, how, do you people, how, how can you argue that people are under condemnation? Well, 100 years from now, here's, here's what the world will be like. All new people. Why? Because everybody dies. We're under condemnation. Everybody's dying. And, and, and yeah, it's common in our culture to, to, to mystify that into, oh, grandma's in the butterfly and, you know, happy thoughts. And, and I want, you know, I do a lot of funerals. Oh, I don't do a lot, but done done enough in my life. Uh, and people want to have celebrations of life. And I get it. Yeah, their life. But let's face it, without Jesus, there ain't no celebration coming. And, and so now we become messengers of the, of the gospel of peace. And we can have confidence, declare the good news that God removes condemnation. If you are living without condemnation before God, if, if you're experiencing his grace, that all your shame and all your guilt has been lifted, that message of the confidence you have before God now is a message we share with confidence. And I just urge you as you leave this place today, before you leave, just say, Jesus, who this week do you want me to invite to Christmas Eve or talk about this Jesus has changed my life? Who, who, Jesus, give me someone to testify to. Because that's what we're called to. Forget that we're in New Hampshire. Forget that people are like live for your die. You have a greater calling. A last thought. Abide in the spirit through obedience. Here's how we bring peace on earth. Is that whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he gives us. The Lord is at hand. I think part of the opening reading that um, Alex did was from Philippians, and it says, 
that we are to be anxious for nothing. You know what that says? You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to worry. A worry is a trigger to pray. So whatever you're worried about, whether it's a broken car, singleness, getting old, your kid's school, whatever, whatever you're worried about, the Bible says, no, that's a trigger to pray and make your petitions known to God. And God has a responsibility to rule your life with peace. If you're, if you're obeying that teaching and abiding in the Spirit, you will be someone different. This, you will be a person of peace. And so God has done this to bring peace to us. His generous love has met our greatest need. He's done triage for us. His great presence assures our troubled heart. His given spirit, whom he gives without measure, the Bible says, his given spirit has come to, to assure our obedient belief. And so now we live with loving deeds, declaring what God has done in obedience. I want to end with this verse because it just kind of strikes me. It fits the theme. We're talking about God of peace. I think there's a last slide there. Yeah. And the God of peace, think of that. The God of peace, okay, he's at war. He's going to crush Satan. How? Under your feet. Is that, that's shocking. That as I obediently follow Jesus, and as I, as I turn over my condemning heart to the work of, of God and Christ on the cross and allow the Father to lift my condemnation, as I live in that and abide in the Spirit, as I, as I seek to, to tell that message and be obedient to what Jesus says in every arena of life and seek to become more and more obedient, as I do that, you are crushing Satan under your feet. God has chosen the God of peace to defeat Satan. This is the war that we mentioned earlier. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but war, right? Or sword. This is what's happening. How's that happen? Under your feet. As you live in the great love of the Father. As you live out that, that assurance of being in his presence through Jesus. And Jesus lived before him, the Bible says. We're, he's Emmanuel, God with us. I'm, I'm, I'm assured that I am secure. And that as I obediently follow his teachings, his Holy Spirit confirms all of that in me. Let me pray a blessing on you that as you live out your faith in this amazing God and this incredible gospel, you have boldness to obediently share how Jesus has brought peace to you. Now, if you're not, if you don't, not experiencing peace, there's two things. One, you're either not in Jesus or you're not giving him your stuff. There's two options. If you're not experiencing peace, you're either not in Jesus, or you're not giving him your stuff. You're, you're, you're owning the condemnation. You're not confessing. You're not repenting. You're not giving to Jesus your stuff. And so I'll pray for you too. But at the end of the day, the God of peace is crushing Satan under the feet of his obedient children. Let's pray. Thank you that you're the God of peace, the God of all comfort. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you want us to be anxious for nothing. Thank you that you want us to cast our burdens on you and petition you for our worries, and you will rule our hearts with peace. Thank you, Father, for these teachings. Thank you that our greatest need has been, you have, you have dealt with by your, your amazing, generous love. That In Jesus, you have removed our sins Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can live in that peace, that nothing will separate us from the love of God. 
Thank you that death has been destroyed. That even as we approach death, Lord, your children need not fear it because Christ has conquered that too. Thank you that we can be people of peace. But Lord, help us to believe and, 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 and crank up our obedience and devotion and that, that Lord, the, the, the kingdom of darkness be crushed under our feet as we live out uh, lives of the gospel. I pray for my sisters and brothers in this room, Lord. I pray that you would, you would, you would cause them to prepare their feet with the, the gospel of peace, as you told us, Lord, that we would leave this place on mission, praying that you'd give us opportunity to be bold about how you have changed our lives, Lord. And Father, I pray for those in this room who, who have known you but have, are not in peace because they're, they're, they're not giving you their stuff. They're not confessing their sins. They're not repenting. They're, 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 they're covering it over. They're ignoring it. They're trying to medicate it or run from it. Lord, I pray that you would help them to turn over their guilt, their shame, their guilt to you and, and receive from you all that you promised, the, re, the removing of that, that sense of guilt and shame. And finally, Lord, I, I want to pray for those in this room who have yet to meet the Prince of Peace, who do not know peace inside, whose only uh, sense of God is a, a religion they follow or, or a church they attend, but but inside there's worry and anxiety and, 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 there's, and, and there's no sense that they know God. Lord, may today be the day they turn to the King of Peace. Receive forgiveness and grace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.